Thanks for spending uh, part of your day with us at Mile Marker. We're excited to uh, just walk through. We did these a number of times last year and back in 2023. As indicated by my slide, I got to pop that over to 2024. Our innovation office hours, the topic today is modernizing your firm's reporting to simplify your client experience. So uh, I grew up in this industry in... Uh, you know, starting in 2004, and this season of, of uh, the year, these quarter-end months were, you know, big times for us. We had a lot of uh, things to do, and we'd work late to make sure that quarterly statements, fee billing, advisor payouts, all that stuff gets out the door, you know, based on the quarterly stuff and the year-end stuff, you know, it creates a lot of a lot of to-dos. So I imagine uh, many of you are busy with that. And so in your interest, we want to make sure we, we are brief to the point and clear. Scott and I are uh, joining uh, you today. We are here both at Mile Marker. Let me go through a little bit of housekeeping uh, to start. So the questions we're answering today are questions you submitted. I did have this happen last time where somebody submitted a question like an hour before and we didn't answer it and they were not happy with me. So I apologize. I, I only have the questions you submitted through yesterday. But if your question did not get answered during this time, please use the chat feature. Ask that question. We're happy to, to go through it. We had prepped our slides yesterday afternoon. So we want to make sure we're respectful for you, add a lot of value, and go, go from there. So why don't I introduce you to my co-host here today, Scott Clausen. Uh, Scott, why don't you uh, provide a quick introduction about yourself, what you do uh, here at MileMarker, and, and what you've done historically to serve advisors? Sure. Well, Judd, similar to you, I got my start in the industry with Orion Advisor Services, walked through several different roles with them, and have actually been, have worked with a couple of different RIA firms uh, who have all used Orion. I've seen a lot of different things, you know, from, from Orion's point of view and then from the point of view of somebody utilizing the system. And yeah, here within the last six months, started working with Judd at MileMarker, uh, yeah, really just working with different clients, most of them who are Orion users, uh, really helping them to kind of take advantage of just allowing us to utilize the expertise we have in navigating the system and, and helping them to use it to the best of their ability. You know, real quick, my background here, um, co-founder here at MileMarker and also a general partner and the chief platform officer at Mammoth, who has a series of private funds, but also a private fund technology platform. Uh, Scott actually brought me into Orion years ago, back in 2004, um, and was there for a while, created a business called uh, Mineral. And then uh, from there, with that business, we uh, sold and joined Carson and, and led marketing there. So uh, my passion is helping advisors get uh, the total value out of their technology uh, so you can focus, grow your business, serve your clients super well. So let's hop into the questions and we'll go from there. So Obvious question. This is my softball, Scott. Why is reporting important for advisors today? Yeah, I mean, reporting is important because we know that's that is how we are communicating the value we bring to our clients. It's kind of hey, it's our report card to them of how we're doing as an advisor. It helps us tell the story of kind of how we do what we do uh, for them. You know, and while that's great. What I have also found is when our reporting is not telling an accurate picture or telling an accurate story, obviously that does not paint a very good picture of us. Um, and I think we've all kind of run across, you know, situations where reporting just is like, why is it not coming out right? Why is it not accurate? Uh, back Judd, you and I, we started a conversation, uh, yesterday with somebody who reached out to, to us 
um, and is really kind of facing this this exact scenario. It's kind of through events outside of his control, he was forced to move over to a new RIA platform. And while all of his clients' historical data came over with him, the reporting is just not coming out the way that it is supposed to at this point. The historical data is not necessarily linking up to the current information correctly. Cost-based performance reporting just is not, it's not coming out the way it should be. It's to the point of he's, he's losing clients at this point. Why is it important? It's important because we need to be able to tell an accurate picture of what we're doing for our clients. And I think too, like when everything is getting more and more commoditized with the asset management and you know, Vanguard and others that are just providing good value. Um, it makes our value seem less uh, on the wealth management side. And so the, the reality is that you can personalize your advice and your services in a much better way. And, and reporting is a great great opportunity for us to do that, to, to use these levels of customization uh, and, and to uniquely tell a story that actually matters to your client and, and justifies the reason that you're there uh, guiding them through their their situation. So the next question is what measures can be implemented to improve the accuracy of financial transactions? So uh, the, think- the news flash is that your financial transactions aren't that accurate. Is that is that the case, Scott? In some cases, that can be, yeah, that can be the case. And I, I guess what what I have seen there, and again, all of the reporting that I have have worked with historically has been through a portfolio accounting system like an Orion Advisor Services or say Black Diamond. And obviously all of those systems, you know, whether it's you know Orion, Black Diamond, Adapolar, you name it, they're dependent upon the, the transaction information that comes over from, from the custodians. Most of the time I'd say, hey, you know, it, it comes in and, and the, the transactions are accurate. However, you will come across situations where, and typically these are going to be things that are like, yeah, I see this on a regular basis. This one type of transaction just is not coming through correctly, or there are certain scenarios that may not come into the system and generate an accurate, accurate reporting. So I think there's one or two things there that we end up having to do. And one of them is working with, with the portfolio accounting system that is pulling that information in from the custodian. And if it's something that obviously like, hey, every time this type of transaction comes in, it's being loaded into the system incorrectly. Obviously, in those situations, you can work with you know the portfolio accounting system to to work on, hey, can we we change how this is, this type of transaction is getting pulled in? Probably more common is again that I've run across uh, different scenarios where. Hey, just because of the way that it's coming into the system, yeah, it doesn't provide an accurate reporting. And in those situations, what I've had to do is, okay, I'm going to create somewhat of an auditing process that I'm going to follow to help identify those situations and then make the updates that need to be made. Sometimes that may mean, hey, I'm manually updating transactions. A lot of times I've seen, yeah, the transactions that are involved, they also involve, say, a lot of them see some of the other things that we'll talk about deal with alternative investments. That's where a lot of the issues I've seen come up. And it may involve what I've dealt with before, like manually maintained accounts. You've got a part of it that's manually maintained, a part of it that is coming in from custodian. How do we do it? We've got to figure out what the problem is. And then is it something my portfolio accounting system can handle? Or do I need to develop my own process identifying and updating it? 
One of the things that you can do is you can ask your portfolio accounting provider to provide a list of their transaction types and then a list of how those actually are calculated with your performance. Do they break in your performance or they, you know, how they included in your performance? There's a lot of little granularity and nuances. And you're going to see as you have new providers like alternatives or even certain types of other types of investments, they might include transaction types that the portfolio accounting company is guessing are this sort of certain type. And they may in fact actually not be that, or they are that, but they actually have a different tax treatment uh, in that scenario from that provider. It it gets really nuanced, um, but getting transparency and understanding the language and that legend that exists is really helpful and something we certainly guide people through. Next question, are there specific patterns or common issues that lead to transaction inaccuracies? And maybe I just highlighted a little bit of that is that the source dictates so much of what, you know, what it is. In the instance of the source sending information and that's the letter of the law to them, but like often the other providers have to understand the spirit of the law. Like what was really understood and how do we associate that? Uh, how do we synthesize that in that system? That's my interpretation, Scott. What would you say to that? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I was even I kind of, as we looked at this earlier, I was like, okay, what are some of the common things that I've seen come down the line with, with regards to common transaction issues that are leading to inaccuracies when it comes to reporting? And honestly, as I said a little bit ago, a lot of what I have seen revolves around alternative investments. And it's not necessarily that the provider is providing an inaccurate transaction, but it's the way that the system ends up treating that transaction or series of transactions doesn't necessarily lend itself to giving you an accurate report. An example of this is we dealt with one particular alternatives custodian who whenever you would make a purchase into an alternative investment, they would immediately put the purchase into the system, but they would buy it into essentially a fake asset. They called it a pending asset. Once they received the confirmation of the actual purchase, there was an additional transaction that would move it from pending asset to what I called the permanent asset. And just the way that that was entered, one, it didn't lend itself to accurate performance reporting, but two, it kind of broke the whole cost basis, tracking of cost basis for that alternative investment. Caused us a lot of headaches when it came to reporting. And again, that was a scenario that I had kind of create a manual process to monitor and watch those and get them updated. One other thing I was going to say with alternatives I've seen at somebody like a Schwab is, hey, you know, they're doing an alternative purchase. They will send the cash out for the purchase, but they won't post that asset into the account until they've received confirmation back. If you're doing a purchase for say $200,000 of this alternative investment, if you're running at that whole that process, by the way, it can take four to six weeks sometimes. So now I'm running a report and it just looks like, hey, I just, my account, you know, lost $200,000 in value. The client knows, hey, I can take that money. What's going on? Understanding the scenario and being able to communicate that to the client sometimes as well. Yeah. No, I think getting getting a handle on all your transactions, understanding them at a macro level is really important. I think that that comes in here and having that firm level blotter of all the activity that's happening that day. So you can have insight as much as you might outsource that to other third parties, you still need to have a level of verification on what's really happening because 
inaccuracies there can can cause distrust to form with your clients if you're not careful. And no one's trying to confuse anybody, but the data in the middle can be very confusing often. And it's you have to have that sort of line of sight on it. So what are the implications of having multiple custodians, Scott? I mean, this is my experience. Most of the top firms I, I know all have multiple custodians. And those come through acquisition. Sometimes they come out of convenience. Sometimes they came out of pricing and where, where there's a lot of different pricing differences on trading back when custodians used to to charge on this. There are still some charges that obviously occur, uh, but what what's your experience there, Scott? Yeah, actually very similar. All of the above, all of the, the firms that I've worked with, yeah, they've all been, you know, use the multiple custodians. Those custodians typically will serve a very specific purpose. It's great to have the opportunity or the ability to, especially if you were trying to attract additional advisors to your firm, to join your firm, you know, to be able to come in and say, hey, yeah, we have access to all these different custodians, the Schwabs, the Fidelities, Pershings, and maybe, you know, a few custodians you're utilizing for even some of the more alternative investments. And that, that's a great selling point. The, I think the implication of that is, and again, I'm, I'm going to go back to the, the example of with alternatives and all the, the firms that I've worked with. And where we utilize a particular custodian for alternatives, yes, we use the, that custodian for alternatives, but a lot of times what we'll do is we'll, we've set it up so that any distributions that are generated from those alternatives, those distributions need to move over to the accounts that are, you know, kind of your, your publicly traded, the, you know, active ETF models. Well, so now I've got this, you know, basically cash moving back and forth between the custodians. The custodians might not treat the movement of cash the same way. And that has caused maybe the money out and the money in to drop into a different bucket, which makes it look on a reporting that's like, hey, you took money here, you added money here. At the end of the day, no, you really didn't. But of understanding that and understanding how those custodians interact with each other uh, does become very important. All right. So next question is, what is the best way to solve for household returns with alternatives using an IRR, internal rate of return, and a traditional or time rate of return? That's the one, Judd, you and I talked about. It. I'm not, you know, I don't know the best way necessarily to do it so that it shows both. The system that I'm aware of is like, yeah, I can run a report that shows IRR or I can run it using TWR, but typically the reports aren't going to show both. So then it becomes a matter of... Yeah okay, you know, what becomes most important? Typically what I've done in the past is, all right, how do I show the alternative investments, you know, showing a TWR performance along with all of the other actively traded accounts? Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously, you know, when you ask this question, you probably have some specific scenarios that you deal with on the regular uh, here. We would generally see there's probably two different ways to do their, to run the report. Uh, maybe it's multiple reports, unfortunately, to be able to tell that story. And that that is a big challenge here that, you know, that companies like ours are are solving alongside of the team of Mammoth, like to provide better transparency around all these different variables. Uh, so you can tell a consistent uh, story without hiding anything, but consolidating at the same time what matters. Uh, so value change is going to be obviously a big thing here. Understanding your your starting and, and ending values, but then the the actual return inside of that is sometimes a lot trickier to show. And even it's a good call to action to help your clients understand what 
what does it mean when you look at a time weighted return versus an internal rate of return as you share that stuff? So I think there's a that's an opportunity to dig deeper on that specific question with your firm um, in, in particular, but it's not an uncommon issue either. This podcast is brought to you by Turncast. We make game-changing content for fintech and financial services companies. Learn more at turncast.com. Is it possible to extract relevant performance and asset allocation data from an Orion, but then present it as we wish in our own portal? The answer is yes, right? I mean, you can you can do a lot of stuff. Orion's done a great job, from my vantage point, of being able to provide increasing amounts of transparency. Uh, when I was at Orion, we launched an API that allowed our customers to access that API and do what they want with it. Uh, you can also run custom exports out of Orion. Uh, they'll give you, you know, CSV exports or Excel exports to be able to work with that data as you wish. But the the challenge when you run a portal is you have to scale that. Um, and sometimes uh, if you're running a straight API call, it can actually slow your portal down. So you have to do all kinds of interesting things to manage that data, to cache that data, et cetera. Um, but absolutely uh, possible. Uh, we, we have a number of customers that do this all the time to be able to provide in a portal um, and then a team like ours will set up all the data rules and management for when and how you want that to refresh, what all fields you want to refresh. And we just constantly uh, manage all the different new things that are coming out. In fact, I think we added a new field on our Orion poll for forecast builds yesterday, where we can actually start running projections for some of our clients and then putting it into a portal, which is just pretty cool. What percentage of firms report on a client's full balance sheet? You know, I don't know that I can answer what percentage of firms report on the client's full balance sheet. I will say the firms that I have worked with, that has always been a part of what we have wanted to report on. You know, some of that too is is dependent upon the client's willingness to to provide that information uh, because obviously they've got to then, you know, either give you access to or, or give you statements or, or some type of information on accounts and assets that may be not under management by your firm. But, you know, I do know that that is something that we've all, we have strived to do with, with the firms that I've been involved. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, this, this question goes after the whole net worth question. Like what's my client's actual net worth and how do we help increase that and grow that? How do we understand what's really truly factoring into that? And I would say that there's de definitely not as many firms as they wish uh, or you wish that were doing that because of shortcomings that you have with account aggregation tools or even, you know, if you get into this too far, you're going to be managing client credentials and that creates a lot of custody issues. Like if you're owning credentials for things, you're by some measures, you're holding custody. Are you willing to do a custody audit uh, every year for that? I don't think that many firms think about that fact, but like if you're doing that, you know, you, you are effectively becoming custodian. So there's a lot of little tricky things. People use buy all accounts, which is you know, hasn't ever been like the most streamlined sort of thing. And uh, Plaid has had its own uh, issues and shortcomings. And uh, Yodli um, is you know, kind of always like, there's a question always around what investnet's going to do with Yodli or not. Um, so it's hard, but it's definitely a meaningful thing that I think, uh, you know, I think 100% of firms would, would love to be able to have a proper balance sheet report. How do I get the entire firm aligned on data management is the question. I think that's a lot easier said than done from what I've what I've experienced. You know, a lot of the, the firms that I've been with have it's not necessarily been 
I'll call it, hey, you know, a single office of, you know, hey, here we are, we've got two or three advisors and we're all in one location. The firms that I've been a part of have always been, hey, we've got multiple locations, multiple advisors, and I don't want to say they're all doing their own thing, but there's multiple different ways that they could potentially be working with their clients, whether it's, you know, they're managing their clients' assets, they're taking advantage of one of the firm's models, or maybe even use, utilizing their, you know, model management from an outside firm. But to me, as I look at this, it's like, okay, kind of stepping back and saying, all right, what are the like the most important pieces of information, data that really needs to be consistent across all of the accounts, regardless of how they're being managed? What are the pieces of data that are important that we have consistency, especially when it comes to like, even like this time of year, so that when it comes time for like the ADV updates, hey, my portfolio accounting system will easily give me the information that I need when it comes to the different, you know, numbers and, and, you know, AUM, whether it's assets under administration, assets under management, any of those other data points. If those are, are accurately being managed and consistently being managed, that makes that whole process so much easier. Yeah, and I think there's a tremendous opportunity right now for firms to have the data really start to actually dictate decisions. And when data dictates decisions, triple D, that's where things really transform. When you understand that the data is telling me that this client's not profitable, we shouldn't get hired by them, or we shouldn't win that business, or we should send that to a, a junior advisor that's you know, going to be really hungry for that sort of thing. But when the data is telling you what you should do, then that allows you to better align the firm around that. It takes internal championship, you know, just somebody that's going to own that and control that and lead that inside the firm. And it takes a pathway uh, to really start to wrangle that data and, and to then start prove it out. And it does take time. But I would say from our own experience, you know, our company is about three years old now. And now we're able to like more rapidly connect data for our customers and give you something more tangible. But that's, you know, that... That evolution's taken time and now is starting to really, really turn a corner so we can start to just show those insights much more rapidly for you. And then that opens the door for you to come back to your internal customers and stakeholders and say, this is what we know. This is what we're, we're wanting to learn. And this is how it's going to transform that. Uh, Fidelity had a study that came out. They published it officially in uh, Q, early Q4 of 2023 that said that you know the majority of firms the their client relationships are not profitable and if you can understand which those which of those are I'm not saying that you fire your clients but I'm saying you change up how you're managing those relationships um, and, and reconfigure all that stuff when you start doing that and start having data do that work for you it changes your actions and uh, it it dictates your decisions and and changes your your footing. So, um, how do you go about getting the entire firm aligned on data management? Kind of the same idea. I think it's it's more like internal stakeholders, and then you go to the broader audience to get everybody there. Anything else to add to that, Scott? No, I, I think you're exactly right. You know, which uh, internal stakeholders about from there. All right, what? Artificial intelligence or AI, want to specify versus alternative investments. What AI tools would you suggest to give better insights into our data? I'll, I'll go with this. And what we're what we're doing, what we're seeing now, is that we have a lot of interesting things that are happening with the partnership between Microsoft and OpenAI. But before we get there, each firm has to kind of come to a place and understand how do you actually feel 
about AI and how do you make sure that your data is not getting out beyond your walls, your data bases into these large language models uh, and violate your client privacy. So understanding that first, um, but second, uh, the things that are happening with OpenAI and Microsoft in particular are quite exciting because you can now load in our in our analytics system, you can have your data connected and start to use that model to actually analyze what you're doing. And so uh, we're in early stages as Microsoft and OpenAI in particular are in also in early stages of releasing this. Um, but it's been very fun to see the insights it can unlock for firms like yours to give you better insights and, and help you understand things you never knew uh, or you would have never known to ask um, and unlock that. And it's, it's pretty fun. So Scott, question for you. What are your favorite reporting systems and why? Well, I have to say Orion is my favorite reporting system because that honestly, in, a, in all transparency, that's the one that I have experience with. I mean, I know the others, they all are going to do be able to do similar things. From my perspective, though, again, that, that's the one that I have the most experience with and the most in-depth understanding of. So I would say that there are so many factors to reporting it, that um, it's really hard. Like once you start to realize the value of these different things, if we take Orion, for example, Orion has client portals and applications, all that kind of fun stuff. You want to use their homegrown stuff. They also have an API that allows you to access all kinds of different unique data points. Uh, they also do data streaming uh, where you can connect to Amazon Redshift and access all of your data all at once every day. It can be quite a bit, uh, but you also can get very selective with that. Then they also have the ability to have data queries and run those. And what we do is we'll work with those to programmatically run them. Uh, so they're automatically sending you data and, and giving you proactive insights. So there's a lot of different variables there. When I would be evaluating those, I mean, Adapar and Black Diamond and Tamarack are kind of the other primary players. And I would just ask them, like, what do they do for those sorts of things? And can I have that access? Am I going to be very limited? Because when you're committing to these things, you're really committing to them. Uh, they're becoming essential to, to running and operating your business. So um, we definitely advise that. So Scott, how do you decide if a specific reporting system is better for one advisor versus another? How do you determine that? And this is a big question that a lot of the aggregators have where you're buying other books of business and you're trying to figure out, do I need to move these folks or should they stay? Uh, you know, which one's better? Should we, should we have a, a normalized singular version, et cetera? To me, at least I look at that and it's like, it, it all depends on what is the management of your client's accounts look like? Is there a lot of sophistication involved, multiple custodians involved in how you're managing the client's accounts? Are there alternative investments? Are you doing other things like that that are adding a level of sophistication, like you said, to the clients, to the overall management of the client? Or is it a little bit more, we have our core models and they're all kind of, you know, I'll say ETF, mutual fund driven, our clients are all going to drop into you know, one of our models. We may add a little bit of customization here and there. So it's kind of looking at how exactly are you managing your clients' accounts? And to me, I would expect you know, a lot of them probably come down to, okay, what's the cost between you know option A and option B? And if one of those costs is going to be significantly lower for you, okay, does that particular system provide you with all of the reporting and capabilities that you if it does great if it doesn't okay well then we've got to look at other options yeah that's great 
That's great. So that was that's our last question. Here's a real quick overview on what we do here at Mile Marker. We have a managed back office solution that Scott runs where we actually hop in with firms and help run different aspects of your business, fundamentally streamlining your new account processes, managing your billing. We're doing quite a bit of billing this time of year for our clients, which is super great. It's fun to help you collect those fees and then understanding also you know, there's a, there's a need to go work with the custodians to make sure you get all those fees collected to building reports and designing reports and, and figuring out how do we maximize all that stuff. And then for some of our firms, we actually manage the Orion contract for you and, and work to make that as seamless as possible. And then for other firms, they're wanting to build on top of Orion. Like, hey, we got this stuff on lock. Let's take this and serve our advisors in a better way. That's where Mile Marker comes together. And then, you know, there's all kinds of nuances here. Our partnership with Mammoth allows us to manage alternative funds all the way from onboarding to the LP management, uh, to the document management and the investment operational aspects, uh, and then also delivering workflows for that. So there's a lot of fun stuff we're doing to unlock really the potential of your technology and help you streamline your business, serve your advisors better and give better transparency to your retail clients. Um, it's, it's super fun to get to do this with Scott and, uh, and serve advisors like that, you know, like you and, and like the ones that you serve today. So real quick, if you want to reach back out, you have our emails from all the emails we've been sending you to come and, and get your time uh, to join us. Uh, you can reach us anytime at hello at milemarker.co. We'll give it a couple more minutes here at the end for any other questions and then we'll conclude. But, uh, thank you guys for the time and, uh, Scott and I are happy to hang out here and answer any questions if you have them. Scott, what are people doing with asset classes these days? Just a quick question. I mean, it feels like asset classifications are always something that creates kind of a little bit of a issue because they're expensive to license from people and, you know, they're subjective too. How are, how are firms managing that today? Yeah, as far as you know, how they're managing it, I know inside of Orion, you've got the ability to kind of choose a hierarchy of, hey, I want to go with, they have like morning stars, uh, side months, or lipper, or something like that. Which you know, then that that information automatically gets gets updated. You know, th- those are the options that I see most, and that is something that you know, I see when it comes to reporting, and it's like, hey, wait, why do I have all of these assets that don't have you know show up under an unclassified asset category? It becomes okay. Well, that's one of those things that you know, has to be pretty consistently monitored uh, just to make sure that, you know, if you have selected for the system to automatically update those asset classes, that doesn't necessarily mean that, okay, I turn it on, it's good to go, I can ignore it. No, because not every single asset that shows up in the system gets classified via their auto classification process. Well, excellent. Let's uh, let's go ahead and conclude. Uh, if, if you stay with us, we'll send you the recording of this once it's available. Thanks to Amy and the rest of the team that helped pull this together and make this possible. Um, we hope you have a right a great uh, quarter end, uh, year end time, all that fun stuff. And uh, feel free to reach out to us anytime with questions. Our team is happy to serve uh, and help your firm experience success with technology and and solutions that you need for for that success. So thanks a lot for joining us. Take care. Thanks so much, Judd.